our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Now, we're talking about different opinions on secondary issues for the past few weeks. So, is Halloween, as I asked last week, is that just an innocent day where kids get to dress up like Superman, or is it a day where the culture elevates the demonic? Is drinking something that can be done responsibly and your freedom to do, or is it one step away from drunkenness and something that should always be abstained from? Is carrying a pistol contributing to the violence in society and the constant accidents and and non-accidents that result in death? Or, or is it a good way to protect you and your family? Who should I vote for? Who should I not vote for? Here's the thing. As I said last week, commands you not to make your convictions on secondary issues the door to the kingdom of God for a brother or sister. There is one door, and that's Jesus Christ. And that it is necessary that people stumble. But when they stumble, they must stumble over the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, Jesus Christ. Not your opinion or my opinion on secondary issues. Amen? Now, Paul has been addressing the weak and the strong in this passage, and he's going to pick up, finally, in this section, this is the last section, last sermon on this issue, but he's going to give instructions to the strong. So if you consider yourself a mature Christian, a strong Christian, who has allowed Christ to permeate every aspect, or as much as you can tell, most aspects of your life, if you're mature and growing, this is specifically and uniquely for you. Read with me in chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Now you who are strong, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, 
as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the pow- by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If you are strong, we who are strong, and who have allowed Christ to permeate aspects of our devotional and spiritual and everyday life, and we have an understanding of our sense of freedom in Christ and understand understand the correct boundaries in Christ, what we ought not to do is to be a freedom Pharisee and make people make people adjust to our consciences, even if they are correct. Even if our sensibilities are correct, Paul says, we saw earlier, he says, do not enforce your opinion in the congregation. Don't be a freedom Pharisee. For the weak, if you feel a sense of boundaries, tighter boundaries in your life, do not pass judgment on those who don't share the same convictions as you do on these secondary issues. Everyone is bound by their own conscience, the Apostle Paul says, and what you should do with that conscience is see how to glorify God with your life. So this is how your piety is affected. How can can you best live a holy life to God and live it according to your conscience? Now we saw, with that being said, we saw that there are things that the kingdom is and is not about last week. Right? There are things that the kingdom is not about, and there are things that the kingdom is about. The kingdom is most thoroughly not about my Second Amendment. So this week's question is this. In light of all of the differences, not least political, not least political, In light of all of these differences of opinions on these secondary issues, how can we work towards the things that the kingdom is about as a Christian community? There's tons of differences and tons of opinions. And what makes this especially difficult today for us is because there is not only a lot of different opinions on things, But there are different groups of people propounding these different opinions very strongly. And everything is way over here or way over here. And if you are somewhere down here or are unsure, you're somehow being unfaithful. So in light of all these differences, how can we work towards the things that the kingdom is about? First of all, if you are strong, the obligation lies with you in the Christian community. 
verses 1 and 2. We who are strong, we who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now the weak, here's the failings of the weak, remember? They're still sensitive. They're, they're Jews, mostly, and they're still sensitive to Old Testament taboos and eating laws. And they stay away from certain kinds of foods that may have been sacrificed to an idol or may not have been prepared kosher. They observe the Sabbath day, a Sabbath day and festivals because they still feel that the Old Testament shows us the way of piety, even though that's not true. In Christ, there's a new covenant entirely. So these Jews are Christians. They are Christians. They believe that justification is by faith, that you don't have to keep the law in order to be saved. Nevertheless, they can't break themselves off from these Old Testament sensibilities. They have not yet allowed Christ to permeate every aspect of their spiritual life. So to put it in a, a, a strong, most pointed way I can, the failings of the weak are a theological error, right? They have a theological error. Now, if I had written Romans 15 and Romans 14, me, if I had written it personally, and ask yourself, maybe you would agree with me, I would have said to the weak to get with the program, to get their heads on straight, and start being faithful to Christ in their opinions and sensibilities. I'm not going to, I would say, I'm not going to, don't make the faithful capitulate to your weakness and your theological errors. Get thou behind me. This is what it is now. There is no more Jew or Greek. This is the way of Christ now. A new era has begun. So I'm not going to capitulate to weak-minded non-Christ-centered ideas. And you're either with me or you're against me on these issues. That's what I would say. But Paul doesn't say that. Ironically, Paul always tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> Paul doesn't say that. In fact, he places obligation on the strong to shoulder to shoulder and bear the failings of the weak-minded and the spiritually immature. Um, in verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear. That word has a sense of carrying. So the strong are not asked to merely tolerate the weak. God, just, you know, try to get along with them. No, you're actually told to go to the weak and pick up their theological errors and their weakness and put it on your back. 
for their sake. So if you're strong, you should be able to do a, the- a spiritual squat and take that on your back and pick it up for their upbuilding. You carry their weakness. You carry their burdens if you're strong. So you bear with them in order to build them up. Not, not, Paul doesn't say, listen, run away and fix them immediately. Even though that would be my initial inclination. Fix the secondary issues immediately. Paul doesn't say that. Bear their theological error and build them up. And Paul, so Paul is not thinking in terms of giving in to their weakness or giving up your convictions because both of those have myself in view rather than the other person's spiritual edification. It's not about you giving in. It's about them and their spiritual health. And if you are strong, in context, if you're strong, you don't eat meat in front of them. You abstain from your freedom in Christ. So they are told, the Apostle Paul is telling the Roman congregation to bear the theological errors of the weak and build them up, not by fixing them, but by giving up their rights for the community's spiritual health, thus shouldering their spiritual weaknesses. And this is Paul's rule in the churches, to bear, to shoulder the failings and the weaknesses of the immature. In 1 Corinthians 8.13, there's a similar issue. Pagan people have turned from pagans to Christ. We talked about this in Bible study. And in the temple, in pagan temples, they would serve food. It was like restaurants. They would have meals and birthday parties. And these people who came out of paganism still felt a little weary of going in, of eating meat that was sold in the market, by one of these pagan temples. And Paul says, for if anyone sees you, or let me, let me go down there. If anyone sees you so, uh, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Are you not saying, introducing the weak brother into the very realm from which he was just saved? And so by your knowledge, This weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, here's the rule. If my brother, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. I'll never exercise what is my right to do in Christ, if it makes my brother stumble. Paul wants us to understand that the new and immature Christian are very delicate. They're very delicate. They could break. They're like, they're like an egg. They're very delicate in their faith. And what they need is a strong Christian to welcome them. 
Welcome to the faith, brother. To walk with them and to meet them where they are, rather than forcing them into ideas that they are not prepared for yet. They're not prepared for yet. This applies to theological truths. I don't think it would be wise for me to force something I know upon somebody who may have been brought up in a certain atmosphere, Christian atmosphere, and still believes that certain peripheral doctrines are essential to their faith, or if they lost that peripheral doctrine, it would wound their faith in Christ. Here's another illustration. So you need to bear with them. Wesley's starting to play baseball, um, and Wesley wants to be in the major leagues, right? Yeah. All right. He wants to like 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 I was until I realized players were really really good in college, um, but he wants to be in the major leagues. So. I can either meet him where he is, or I can start preparing him for college baseball right now. So when I throw with him, I could get up there and just chuck it as fast as I can at him and say, come on, and throw another one at him until he catches it and just keep chucking him at him 80 miles an hour until, and, and, you know, and if he gets hit, he gets hit. And then I could get him out in the field and I could throw the ball up the air, hit it, hit just rockets at him at shortstop as hard as I can because that's what a college baseball player needs to be prepared for. These players, are they throw hard, and they're hitting rockets. I heard somebody hit a, uh, hit a ball 101 miles an hour off the bat. you got to be prepared for that. And pe- uh, major leaguers are throwing 100 miles an hour regularly now, so you got to – so I want to get him in the fastball cage that throws 100 miles an hour to prepare him, right? That, Paul is saying, would not, would not lead to his progress. That's the same logic. The, what you do, what I should do with Wesley, is toss him the ball so he learns how to catch it. And then we can back up a little bit. And this is what we do. We back up a little bit. And when I, I roll him ground balls so he learns how to get down on the ground, put his glove on the ground, so he learns fundamentals. So that as he progresses and as he gets stronger and as he puts these pieces together, he can deal with a 101-mile-an-hour ground ball off the bat just because he's able to put the glove on the ground, snatch it up, and throw it to first. Now, now it's become second nature and it's not because he began with fastballs like that. It's because he began with fundamentals that were able to build him up. That is what Paul is saying for the Christian community. Meet them where they are. Build them up slowly. Build them up. Don't get me wrong, and don't get Paul wrong. Build them up. But do it slowly. Do it patiently, and don't allow these secondary issues to be the stumbling blocks. First, you start with the center, Christ, and then you build out. 
You don't start from the outside and build in to Christ. That's very, very important. So if the Christian, if the kingdom is a city, and there are walls, and those walls are secondary issues, and Christ is in the middle, you don't get into the city by walking through the walls, by climbing over the walls. You get into the city by helicopter, and you're dropped in the middle, right to Christ. Then you can explore the city. That is how it works. You don't go through the walls first. It doesn't work like that. You build from the inside out, not the outside in, in the Christian life. Start with Christ, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Start with he died for your sins. Start with he rose again. Start with discipleship to him. Teaching us, teaching people to observe all that he has commanded. Start with holiness. Then build out on these secondary issues so that they can become wise and prudent Christians. So don't get Paul wrong. We should not be passive in rebuking falsehood. But I'm not preaching on a text that's about rebuking falsehood. We're talking about a text that requires the strong to bear the failings of the weak. So don't be passive. We should not be passive in rebuking error. But we need to be careful not to destroy a brother in the process. Now, the way of Christ, the way of Christ is bearing weaknesses. Now, Paul just told us to bear weaknesses, and it just so happens that is so typical among Paul that he's not just taking ideas out of thin air and throwing them at you. He's looking to Christ, and he's building his theology out from there. The way of bearing theological weaknesses is the way of Christ. And if you would be Christ-like, if you would be a powerful, strong, unique, less ordinary, dynamic Christian with inner fortitude, you must, you must follow the way of Christ. So the way of Christ is bearing the failings of the weak. Paul, in verse 3, says, For Christ did not please himself. That means he did not make full use of his rights. He didn't do that. Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, quoting Psalm 69, verse 9, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So there are people that sinned against the Father. And what did Christ do? Well, good. Let him die. No. He took those reproaches, those sins, upon himself. And he nailed it to the cross. That's what he did. Let's go to Philippians 2. The way of Christ 
is bearing failure of people who don't deserve to have their failures born. The way of Christ is shouldering weaknesses. That's the way that Paul gives us in Philippians 2 when he says in verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can actually come along alongside this way. You actually have the power residing in you, if you are indeed a Christian with the Holy Spirit, to do and live this way, this countercultural, self-denying way. He says, have this mind among you. He didn't say, isn't this neat? He says, do this. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be clung to, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a, <clears throat> a form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted So Christ bore your errors. Christ bore your theological error. And Christ bore your spiritual weakness. And you've been given that same life. You've died and raised with Christ. You participate in his resurrection life. Union with you are united with Christ. And so, that's what Christ does. He bears weaknesses and he bears errors. The way of Christ, then, is for you to do the same. Galatians 2, 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, here's a burden, a weakness. I take it. I put it on my back. That is fulfilling the law and the way of Christ. What form does that take here? It means abstaining from food. It means forgiveness. It means walking with somebody in doubt. Jude says, have mercy and pay, be patient with those who doubt. Don't say, well, you're doubting the resurrection? Then be, get out of here and say that. He says, have patience with those who doubt. Come alongside them. That's why I really really appreciate apologetics answers your questions it builds faith <clears throat> so here i'm gonna the way of you die to yourself you give up your rights so that someone else is built up you die so that someone else lives that is the way of christ not by not that you have power in your life but you have the power of christ's life in you to do these things. Downward mobility. Our culture is all about up, being upwardly mobile, advancing. Well, the way of the kingdom is upside down. Humble 
yourselves, Peter, Peter says, under the hand of God. Bring yourself low, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. At the proper time, when the time is right, he will exalt you. Sometimes, there are times when the time is not right, when you need to be brought low and humbled. Not just because of your weakness, but because of someone else's weakness in this context. You need to humble yourselves, bring yourselves low so you can get down, shoulder their weakness, and carry it for a while. Then, when the time is right, he will exalt you. So, Christ-likeness, from death to life, your death for someone else's life. To what end are we doing this? We are doing this to build a community under the law of Christ for the glory of God, verses 5 through 7. A community under the law of Christ for the glory of God. May the God of endurance, he prays, and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. Not just to get along, for the glory of God. Corporate holiness so often neglected today, is required of his church. His bride is required to be beautiful. Corporate holiness. Corporate holiness, Paul says, is about unity. It's about harmony, unity, oneness, so that with that one voice, you might be able to sing and glorify God. Praising, worshiping, being holy as a unit together. And you do that through Christ-likeness, by bearing the weak, the weak brother's burdens. So you are told to welcome, not fix, but welcome one another in spite of differing opinions. Because the basis of your union is not agreement on these issues but is agreement on Christ himself. And you are to welcome, you are to welcome people in the same condition that Christ, that you were welcomed when Christ welcomed you. Immature and weak. Slightly foolish. A lot of room for growth. Then you come alongside them and grow them in the same pace that the Holy Spirit has grown you. So you're building. This is not capitulating to weakness. This is not allowing the weak to run the community. This is build, This is actually doing something proactive and positive. You're building up the church on the foundations of the strong who stand on Christ himself. N.T. Wright, in his commentary, says, The point of it all is not simply being able to live in peace and quiet without squabbling. The point is to build. And what needs to be built is the common life of praise and worship. 
With one mind and with one mouth, they go closely together, describing that glad unanimity of praise and worship which indicates both to the watching world and to the Christians themselves that they are not worshiping the projection of their own culture, but the one true God of all the world. Amen. So the redemptive purpose of Christ, the big grand purpose of Christ's coming is so that you might worship God. Verse 8, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So that's a very Jewish verse, right? Christ became a servant to who? The circumcised. To show God's truthfulness to the patriarchs. Jewish. Verse 9, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So, it's Jew and Gentile. Those who feel the taboos of Old Testament religion and those who don't. It's bringing them together in one. And how did Christ do that? By becoming a servant. That's the way, again, of Christ that, that is thread throughout this passage. And so Paul quotes a few Old Testament verses here that talk about Gentiles, pagans, being brought in to the covenant community for the purpose of worshiping God. Verse 9b, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. What does Christ want? Unadulterated praise with one voice that unify around the one true Christ, not unification on secondary issues, but the one main thing, not eating and drinking, but Christ, for the glory of God. Verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles. 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples extol him. And you do this not just through singing with your mouth. You do this through corporate holiness, which is brought about by bearing burdens of the weak. The 12, verse 12, the root of Jesse will come. That's the father of David. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And may, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul talks, start, starts talking about hope here all of a sudden. Because we are to lift our eyes. Because there is so many voices talking today about the problems in America and the problems overseas, about the problems in the healthcare industry, about the problems of racial tensions, about the problems of cops, about the problems of 
L gay the, the gay agenda, the, about the problems of politics, about the problems of presidents, about the problems of warming, the global warming, about the problems of the sea. Problems. They're, they're, if you want to focus on something, that's about you can focus on a lot. There's a lot for you to think about, right? And the pull, the pull is for you to get, stop gazing up there. Stop looking ahead into eternity. That's what culture is saying. Seek the things that are down here, where culture is. That's what, that is what our culture is saying. But Paul wants you to lift your eyes. Hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. Remember, um, I forget his name now, but remember that quote, um, Moldmont says that dread, anxiety is the anticipation of terror. Hope is the anticipation of joy. And that is, that is what we have in Christ. The anticipation of joy. You have hope that does not make you ashamed. So, yes, the country is in turmoil. Yes, there is sickness and death. But hope does not make you ashamed. God is a God of hope. And you can anticipate joy. And we just sang, even when we draw our final breath, that he will speak to our dead bodies and we will rise. Because Christ is our salvation. So lift your eyes. Set your mind to things that are above, not things that are below. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Unity. This, is about, this has been about the primacy of unity these past chapter and a half. Over personal convictions, and he wants you and me to contribute to personal holiness, or to uh, corporate holiness. So if you're a strong Christian, responsibility is laid on you. Not the weak brother, not the weak sister. Responsibility is laid on you specifically to bear their failings by meeting them where they are, not making use of your own rights and then building up them at cost to yourself. It's your responsibility, not the weak's. Because that's the way of Christ, and that is the way of true power. Let's close in a word of prayer.